In today's text, we're going to be in the chapter of John, the Gospel of John, and we're going to begin in uh, John chapter 2, uh, in verse 23, and we're going to read uh, till uh, John chapter 3, uh, 15. And we won't get all the way through that text, so don't worry, we'll get to about verse 10, and that's where I'll, I'll cut it off. But uh, um, in our church, I don't know if it's customary, I'm just going to do like we do in our church. Uh, we stand at the honor of reading God's Word. So if you stand as I read God's Word. Uh, John chapter 2, beginning of verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and no, uh, needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. There was a man, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb or be born? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel? and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the servant, in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up, so whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, just thank You for this day. God, just thank You for the uh, Your grace and Your mercy. And God, just thank that You are a God who saves. God, that You are a God that um, will go to all measures to save mankind. Father, I thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to be the sacrifice for our sins. Father, I just pray for help. I pray that God that um, you will be glorified, that people will see past me and see you. Lord, and we just um, 
We just ask for your help. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last uh, last week, uh, Brother Bates, or I call him Trevor, uh, preached on uh, Mark chapter 4, 10 and 12. And it's a tough doctrine he spoke about, the doctrine of election. And uh, some people uh, really have trouble with that. They seem to think that God isn't being fair by choosing one over another. But the reality is, is not just why does God save some, is why does God save any of us? And that uh, if we truly got what we deserve, we would all spend eternity in hell. But thank God for His grace and His mercy. And we have a God that... Uh, is willing. I, he wishes no man perish. He wishes no harm on the wicked. But uh, that brings us today to. It goes along with it. Me and Trevor was talking that uh, uh, he asked me what I'd be preaching and what text, and we kind of went through it. We ended up talking an hour and a half. So uh, um, he said it was very fitting that we talked about the doctrines of grace that we're going to be talking about. The doctrine of election, and then today is the doctrine of regeneration. And what does it mean? And basically, what does it really mean to be saved? Or how does a man truly come to faith? Is the decision based slowly on him? Or how does he? How does it happen? So that's what we'll we'll be working through today. And then I want to define the de- uh, definition of regeneration. Uh, this is my own. Uh, it's the supernatural act performed by God in which He removes our spiritual blindness by taking away our hard, dead, non-responsive heart, thus giving us a new, soft, pliable, responsive heart that He that is able to see and savor and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And uh, I have two purposes of this message. And as we go through the discourse, of, most people are very familiar with John, uh, Nicodemus and Jesus' discourse. But uh, I hope, in, in seeing that, I hope your hearts will be stirred, humbled, and stirred, and it will prompt you to worship. That's what we're here for. We don't worship a dead Savior. We worship a risen Savior. And uh, and if you're lost, I hope the Spirit of God moves on you and awakens you to the beauty of Jesus Christ. And uh, I'm going to start in uh, our main text will be in John uh, chapter three, one through ten. But uh, John's gospel always, he uses the one, like a bridge paragraph to bridge from one thought to the next. So John chapter three, uh, 2 and 23 is when, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many believed in his name when they saw his signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust them to him. Why? 
That's a natural question you would ask. Many believed in His name, but the Scripture says that Jesus on His part didn't entrust Himself to them because He knew all people and needs no one to bear witness about anyone for He Himself knew what was in men. And um, as you said here today, I don't know anything about any of you. But Jesus knows the very core of your heart. You can fool everybody, but you can't fool Christ. You can't fool God. That's pretty scary, right? You see in verse 23, many believed when they saw the signs that He did. Then in verse 24, you see the big word, but. Jesus didn't instruct, entrust Himself to Him. What was John trying to tell us? John the author. See, the Jewish people, when Jesus came on scene, was expecting a David-like ruler that would be a conquering, that would do away with the Roman rule. And, uh, but that's still true today, right? You see people coming to churches all the time, walking out and say, ask Jesus into their heart. Many times never see them again. It seems that sometimes that people just want what Jesus offers. A ticket out of hell. But that's not true. It was just for the Jewish people. They believed the sign He was working miracles. And they believed that He was Jesus and He was God. Many people today believe same thing. They believe Jesus is God. They believe Jesus died for their sins. But is Jesus their Lord? There's a major difference because you cannot have Jesus as Savior unless He's Lord. And Lord means He's Master over all. And uh, one of my favorite pastors I listen to quite often. He died in March 1st of 1981. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. A masterful pastor. Masterful teacher. Um, he said the flow of the whole Bible is from the negative to the positive. Or from the diagnosis to the remedy. So I would believe us so what is man, man's biggest, when I say man, I mean mankind, women, children, what is our biggest problem? It's a simple heart. Sin. In Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, it says, that The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And who could understand it? And then in verse 10, this is, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruits of his deeds. So Matthew 15, 18 to 20 says, 
For what comes out of mouth proceeds from the heart. This is what defiles a person. From out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defiles a person. John Calvin said, the heart is a perpetual or everlasting idol factor. So if the heart is deceitful and sick, and out of it comes evil thoughts, murder, theft, and slander, and is an idol factory, how can man ever choose to do right? I preached a sermon last week in my, at my church because I don't preach that much. My brother said, hey, it would be good for you to get your feet wet, and if you want to change some things before you preach it there, you can. So I started out by kind of help us get our thinking caps on. I posed three questions. And I asked them to stand. You can stand if you want to, but I'm going to ask three questions. And you can just raise your hand or however you choose to stand or raise your hand if you believe that salvation begins and ends with Jesus Christ. Stand or raise your hand if you believe once you put your faith or put your uh, you believe that that God gives you a new heart. Now this is the one that stumped most of them. Raise your hand or stand if you think that mankind has free will. Kind of a mix. That's when I got there. Um, the first two st- statements will work through the sermon, but I want to deal with free will from the get-go. I use an illustration to bring home the point. I'm going to get to Nicodemus. This all makes sense. Alright. Imagine I have a cookie. Two cookies in my hand. I have a chocolate chip cookie and I got a peanut butter cookie. You choose one. Most of you chose the chocolate chip cookie, right? You freely chose that chocolate chip cookie, right? But why did you choose that chocolate chip cookie? Because you wanted to, right? But why did you want to? Because your desire for the chocolate chip cookie was greater than the peanut butter cookie. Our free will is never truly free because only God is truly free. Our choices is always attached to our greatest desire. In other words, we only choose what we want or what we desire that strongest at that moment. And God created Adam and Eve in a perfect environment with a liberty to sin or not to sin. They had perfect free will. But what happened? The fall. 
they lost and we lost inherited total ability to sin or not to. We lost our liberty and our free will. Man can only choose. I'm going to say unconverted man because I don't want to be misunderstood. A man that's unconverted can only choose to sin. Because I just read, out of his heart comes wicked thoughts. We can look around at the world. It's not hard to see that. I do believe that man is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. I do believe salvation is a free choice. Now, I, don't, I believe that nobody ever comes to Christ kicking and screaming. But the million dollar question is, how does a dead, blind, sick heart ever come to Christ? Now to our text in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 3. I'm reading out of the ESV uh, version, so most of mine will be from the ESV. Um, it says, there was a man named, uh, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of a Jew. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless he is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Four things I want to draw out of the first two verses. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a member of a, a Jewish party that uh, was very strict to piety according to the Mosaic law. And a Pharisee means to separate to divide or to distinguish. Uh, Nicodemus was also a member of the Sanhedrin. That was the ruling class, kind of like our Senate and our Congress. It was made up of 70 members. And he come to Jesus by night. Uh, some commentaries might uh, believe that Nicodemus uh, re represent Nic the condition of Nicodemus' heart because covering the night. Um, some believe that it was an opportune time. Some believe that he come that the night covered him, so he come in secret. And I would agree that uh, all of them are right. I believe John, the author, was just showing a picture of Nicodemus's heart. See, Nicodemus was a—he uh, uh, had reached the pinnacle. If he wasn't, the scripture says that uh, that he was the teacher of the law. So he either was the top dog or the most educated, the most learned man in Israel. But he missed it. And, and But Nicodemus did recognize Jesus as, a, as a, a teacher that come from God. And we know that uh, the word because, for because no one can do these signs. So G Nicodemus, you know, about a Pharisee, one of the things that fascinated me, we all have a, a copy of God's Word. Most of us have got multiple. We got it on the phones. We got it on a computer. We got it on our iPads. We got it in print. But 
They didn't have the Word of God like we do. Most of them had it in memory. So, you know, we have Nicodemus. He recognized that there's something to this man. And uh, you may be here too that uh, I don't know where you stand. Is there something to this Jesus? Is Jesus still... Is He still ruling and reigning? Is He still changing man's heart? Yes. And then we see in verses 3 and verses 5 the word truly, truly. Repeat it twice. When we see the word repeated twice, it means take note, pay attention, because He's fixing to say something. And uh, the Greek word for truly is amen, amen. And what, um, what fascinates me about this word is that it doesn't matter which translation it is, Greek, Latin, English, it's all the same. Amen, amen. Means truth. So, so be. So let it be. So truth always supersedes through language. And I, when I've seen that, that uh, we use it mostly in closing a prayer. Amen. Or if a pastor says something that is truth and you're moved, you hear people say amen. It's actually meaning truth. Truth. So we see Je- what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus was pay close attention. You must... Absolutely, no getting around it. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Then in verse 5 it says to enter the kingdom of God. It's what I'm saying to you this morning, Mount Carmel. According to the Word of God, before we can fully, freely choose God, we must be born again. The more literal translation to born again has been born from above. According to the word of Jesus, you know, how do how do we how do we get there? What can we do to be born again? Can we do anything? And the answer is found in the book of Ezekiel. And I'm gonna read it. Uh, and it lays out the this was prophesied by God what he was going to do for Israel. And then we see it played out in the discourse of Nicodemus. So it's rather lengthy. Uh, I pray that you stay with me. It says that beginning in Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 22, Therefore says the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. 
I will take the take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Right here, listen. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I have gave you to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will summon the grain to make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the trees and the increase of the fields abundant that you may never again suffer disgrace of famine among the nation. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that you were not good, and you will loathe yourself for the iniquities and your abomination. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confound for all your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, on that day I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the wasteland place which shall be rebuilt. You know, that is a prophet's, uh, prophesied that what God was going to do. And, uh, and you know, 16 times in them 17 verses, I will. God is saying, I will. So it's the Lord doing. Now, uh, and then in verse 5, we see Jesus adding to uh, already confused Nicodemus. Unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. In verse 3, he says you can't see. In verse 5, it says you can't enter. And then, in, you know, in Ezekiel 36, 25, and 27, it says, I will sprinkle water on you, and you shall be cleansed from all your uncleanness and all your idols. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, meaning I will give your heart as pliable. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. According to verse 25 in Ezekiel, Jesus washes away our sins. He will cleanse us and he will be, we will be pure and holy. Not for what we did, but for what God will cleanse. He doesn't just leave us empty either. He puts a, a, gives us a new heart and a new spirit. The Holy Spirit will cause us to walk in His ways. So, you know, we don't have to fret around in MI. If you're a truly born again Christian and God is living in your heart, He's controlling you. He's, you know, without the Spirit of God living in us, we're truly not saved. Because it's only by the Spirit living in that we can actually walk in His ways. And, and then you see the kingdom of God. What, what is the kingdom of God? 
That would be a natural question when you say you can't see or enter the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? I believe in the ultimate sense, the kingdom of God is an eternity. It's an eternity where sin is done away with, where we no longer have the ability to sin, and we will see Christ unveiled. And in His glory, rolling and reigning. If you're a believer, we do have a down payment. That's the Holy Spirit living in our heart. And I believe that's, a, that's the gift. So, you know, what does that leave us? Do we have any responsibility in our salvation? Well, you see it in verse 31 in Ezekiel. Then you will remember your evil ways and the deeds are not good. And you will loathe yourself for your iniquity and your abomination. You will loathe or hate yourself. Why? Because of the iniquities and abomination. Iniquities and abominations are, are great sins against the Holy God. And when, when he, God gives us a new heart and He cleanses from all our sins, you will remember and repent and turn to Him. To the free gift of salvation. Then we see it back in John chapter 3, we see in Nicodemus in verse 4, says, how can man be born when he's old? Can he enter the mother's womb a second time? Nicodemus still doesn't get it. He's still spiritually blind. And he couldn't get past how can a man be born again? You may be sitting here just as confused as Nicodemus. How can I, what do I need to do? Does this make any, this doesn't make any sense. And um, it is a supernatural work of God. And how does it come about? Through the preaching. And it doesn't depend on me. When we open up God's Word, the Spirit of God honors that and works in the man's, mankind's heart. And um, then we see in verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. John, John is drawing the contrast between spirit and uh, the flesh. What is he trying to show us? He me in here chose their parents. Nobody, right? You didn't choose your color, your skin, did you? You didn't choose your nationality. You didn't choose your hair color. That's how it is with being born in the Spirit. And you know, uh, and how do I know this is true? Because verse 7 and 8, it says, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, you hear the sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is it with everyone who's born of the Spirit. 
Nicodemus, still confused, said, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. I talked a whole lot about God's side of salvation. Does man have any responsibility? Yes. Just like John the Baptist come as a front runner of Christ, preaching repentance. Man's responsibility is to repent. That means to rethink, to turn away from, turn unto Christ. Because just merely repenting without turning, it's not true repentance. We had to turn from away from our sins unto Christ. And um, you know, it's the doctrine of regeneration is absolutely beautiful. Because it explains what happened to me. I sit in my church about three or four rows back. My brother walked down the aisle and he it was a come to Jesus moment. He simply he encouraged everybody to look around. He said, if God doesn't move in this church, there won't be a church in five years. I stood right where that young lady sat right there. I gripped my pew. I had my two kids on the side of me and my wife. I professed Christ at 12 years old at a Billy Graham crusade on TV. I gripped that pew and I said to myself, my family's going to hell and I don't even care. What's wrong with that picture? At that moment, my life began to change. I couldn't sit in a service where I wasn't weeping. I called my children and apologized to them for being a horrible father. You know what? There's more to being a man than just providing for your family. It's a big deal to provide for your family. You know what? I give my kids everything they thought they needed but I was gone all the time working. And I know it, it, it's a hard thing to sit there and say that my family's going to hell and I don't care. That was reality. That was coming to Jesus raw and just being honest. And uh, it went on for about three or four months of just weeping. Every sermon I weeped. And my mom was going, 
everybody was trying to pacify me and say, it's all right, you're making right now, or, or just trying to comfort me. I could get no comfort. I was tormented. On um, April 27, 2015, in Seymour, Indiana, after what I thought was the worst day of my life, in the back of a truck, I got on my knees. I threw my hands on the, the, the bunk. And I simply said, Lord, I surrender all. I was weeping. I stood up. The peace was un, unreal. The first question I asked myself, you're fixing to lose your job. That house you worked for, that motorcycle you worked for, all them toys that you had was going away because you're going to lose your job. But I, I didn't ask God to fix my situation. I just gave him my life. Every bit of it. <coughs> And from that moment on, I spent a year and a half. And I asked my brother time and time again, I'm not sure I was saved or I don't, I don't know if I was saved then or what it was. And my brother said, only God can answer that. And uh, my brother was preaching to the book of uh, James. And uh, I listened to a sermon by me. Uh, John MacArthur and he was the overall sermon of the book of James and he divided it he said if you have these characteristics you're lost if you have these characteristics you're saved I checked off every box on both sides uh, a year and a half later uh, I was rebaptized and uh, my life has never been the same since. So when I read, I know I didn't do this text justice. But I'm here to tell you, I don't know, I don't, I don't, it don't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you are the most educated or you're the most downcast. And you know, some people, I've heard people say that I'm just too bad to be saved. I'm here to tell you, it's only the bad to get saved. Just like Nicodemus. He didn't need Jesus. Because he always, because he had his religion. And, um, and you might be thinking that, you know, if God is the author of salvation... And when you come to texts like Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And like John 3, 16, everybody knows that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The beauty of the doctrine of regeneration is that God changes our heart. 
that we freely come to Him, we freely repent. They're not contradictions. Because you know what? We have a sinful nature. And even as believers, you're sitting here, we still battle sin. We still have that nature. So God's got to change our very nature. Don't you'll never see the beauty of Christ. And I thank God for that. And then in Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away, behold, the new has come. All that is from God, who through reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And um, I got in my notes here that, um, you know, you see this in the biblical speaking that Paul on his road to Emmaus had an encounter with Christ. Paul was never the same again. I don't don't know if y'all know him, and I'm not going to give the full testimony, but he's made it public. Be it bland. You see a man that was way off, drug addicted, uh, homosexual, living as a woman. God changed his heart. He spoke last weekend to 500 people of the power God does in a man's heart. That is a visual picture that when God saves a man, He doesn't leave him the same. And I thank God that He did change my heart. And if you're a believer, that's the greatest thing that, that God causes us to walk in His ways. And we see it throughout the whole Scripture from the Old Testament that God raised up a a mediator, Moses, to go get His people. For what? To worship. God's still doing that. And, um, you know, salvation is a miracle work for God. And it's only a work that God can do. And uh, we can change everything about ourselves. We can lose weight. We can get, get tans. We can start lifting weights. We can do all kinds of things. We can't change our hearts. Or you can you change the heart of anybody else? You know, Nicodemus had reached the top of, the, of religion. Then we see in chapter 4, the woman at the well, the bottom of the barrel. God saved them both. And everybody sitting here today is somewhere in between there. And if God is still at the business of saving people. And you know what the neat thing about it is? Don't ever be ashamed to be in a small church. That's where God's moving. This is where it's going on. And this is where God is changing people's lives. And y'all have a very, very good pastor, Trevor. And and I had big shoes to fill, and I didn't fill them, but that's okay. Um, Trevor is, um, 
He's a man that uh, if you hear him speak, you think he was 60 or 70 years old at the depth of wisdom he has. He's a very young man. That's a blessing. And it, uh, he speaks highly, Roland. It was, it was an honor to be here today. And, you know, if you feel God moving on your heart, I say, people, just surrender. Wherever you're at, you may be someone has a form of religion but never been transformed. I was 32 years and believe I was saved. You know, most churches you hear walking out, say the Lord's Prayer, ask God to come into your heart. God don't need no permission. And thank God He don't. You know, you don't hear people talking about regeneration, that you must have it. It's absolute. That's the difference between a true Christian and a fake one. Because you can believe Jesus is God, and you can believe the Bible is real. But God doesn't live in your heart. R.C. Sproul said, it's, uh, it's not the professors, it's the possessors that are true Christians. So, um, I'm truly honored to be here. And uh, it didn't go as smooth as it did last Sunday night, but uh, that's okay. Because God don't need me to be anything. He don't need me for nothing. His Word stands all by itself. And uh, if you, you want to sing a song, or if God, if God is really dealing with you, um, and I... It doesn't matter where you at. Just say, Lord, this is where I'm at. He already knows. Just make me whole. And all the call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Dear my Father, we just uh, come here to, this morning, God. Uh, God, I just praise you for your word. It is enough. It is sufficient. Um, God, just thank you for the uh, your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for all that you do. God, I thank you that you're working and moving in small churches just like this. I thank you, God, that you work through men beside themselves. God, you are truly holy. And God, I just praise and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.